This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. As we get started today, the last week of a series that we've called Love in the Bible, looking at couples that exist in Scripture, asking God, God, what can we learn from the lessons that, that are present in Scripture? I want to uh, start by just asking you some questions. How many of you have five or ten year plans today? Maybe for your family. How many of y'all have some goals that you've set for your family? How many of y'all in the next five or ten years you would love to, love to be out of debt? How many of y'all? Some of y'all. Awesome. Awesome. How many of y'all would say maybe in the next five to 10 years, uh, I would like, there's a promotion I would like, there's a career that I would like to shift to, or maybe I'd even like to start my own business next five or 10 years, right? I'd love to do this. How many of y'all would say in the next five to 10 years with your relationship, perhaps with your spouse, how many of you would say, I would love to have an affair next five to 10 years? No hands. How many of y'all would say in the next five to 10 years, I'd love to get divorced? All right. None. You, you want to know why I ask that question? Because in the next five to 10 years, 40% of the marriages that are represented in this room will be at, impacted by infidelity. 40%. And statistically speaking, 50% of the marriages that are represented in this room will end in divorce. Now, we don't believe that that's the story that God's going to tell through our marriages. We believe that God can do something bigger and better through that. But if we're looking at cultural norms, that's what's normal. And you have to ask the question, well, why is it normal to experience those things? And I really think that in many ways, we've been set up to fail. We've been set up to fail. I think culturally, we are more prepared for divorce than we are for marriage by the time we get married. We're more prepared for divorce than we are prepared for me. Think about how a normal relationship goes, right? How does it go? We meet somebody we like. We start spending a lot of time with them, right? So what, what happens? Before long, we're, we're wearing rings that we've exchanged, and we're spending all of our weekend. We're planning all of our time together. You spend so much time that you actually think, hey, you know what would be smart is I take my toothbrush and my pillow, and I go over to your house, and I leave my toothbrush and my pillow over at your house, because if I do that, then we can spend more time together, and I won't have to actually get up after the movie and the end of the night and drive home. We can now, I can just leave my toothbrush here, and we can all do our thing. And I think culturally, more often than not, the only difference that exists between dating and marriage is a ceremony. I don't know if you recognize this, but that's not healthy. That's not healthy. Do you remember there used to be a day where there were things that were saved only for marriage? There were some things that we just, they, they weren't going to be a part of a relationship until there was a ring on the finger, okay? But that's changed. And today what's happened is that there are even little things, things like saying, I love you, that have become normal after you've only dated a few times. There, there are little things like telling someone, you, you own my heart before you ever make a vow. And there are big things like playing house, sleeping together, 
being intimate that happen well before there's ever any commitment. See, I think that when hard times come, what happens is we take our toothbrush and we go home. We take our toothbrush and we go home, and what's happened is we've prepared for divorce. When I'm in a committed relationship and things start getting bad, you know what's going to happen. I'm just going to check out. That's divorce. Can I give you some married um, advice if you're not married? It's real simple. If you're dating or maybe you're engaged or maybe you're not even found that person yet, you're just hoping one day you might, right? Let me give you some advice that I think could save you a lot of headaches. Don't get married until you get married. Don't get married until you get married. There are some things that are designed to be reserved for marriage, and it is the best thing for you that it stays that way. Allowing it to become the formation of your relationship well before there is that level of commitment only sets you up for failure. Don't get married until you get married. See, I think that we live in a culture that has set us up for failure, which is why I think it's going to be very important for us to look at the story that we're going to look at today. It's a story of great brokenness on one hand, and on the other hand, it's a story of great beauty. It's the story where we see the deadly impact of sin, and on the other hand, we see the eternal love of a Father who redeems us and redeems even our relationships. It's the story of, y'all wait for it, okay? Their names are the prophet Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Now, we're in North Carolina, and if I say Gomer, everyone thinks of Gomer Pyle. Okay, I know that up front. All right, but just understand in her past, you need to understand this was a beautiful woman. As a matter of fact, instead of just trying to tell you the whole story, I just, I found a little video that sets it up, so I want you to watch this with me. Look at this. Hosea was a prophet who was told by God to marry a harlot named Gomer. Hello. At first, their marriage was lovely and productive. But soon, Hosea became distracted by work, and Gomer became distracted by other things. Hello. And before long, Gomer bore another son, which looked suspiciously like the mailman. Wait a minute. Uh-oh. I love that video. It's so funny. Let me set the, the context up of Hosea. Uh, we find this story in a book that is named for him. Uh, he, he was used by God as a prophet about 760 years before Christ. He is uh, kind of uh, appearing in, during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was the king of the northern uh, Israel or the northern kingdom of Israel. During this period of time, Israel is experiencing an unprecedented level of economic prosperity, which if you understand the trajectory of our hearts also means that they were struggling in their relationship with God. Because the more we, it's so backwards, but the more secure we often become, in our finances, the less secure we become in God. You ever notice that? That it's so easy for our hearts to drift and to find security in something. But when we, all we got is God, we'll find our security there, won't we? 
That's where they were. And so God raises and elevates Hosea's ministry during this period of time with an effort to turn the hearts of the people of God back to himself. And we see his word begin in Hosea chapter one, verses two and three, when God speaks to Hosea. And he says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of a faithfulness. And this is because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, leave that scripture up there. Look at, when he says, go take for yourself an adulterous wife, the word that's translated adulterous could literally be translated a, a prostitute. God said, Hosea, you're, you're a great guy but I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to marry a harlot. I want you to marry someone who's not being faithful. I want you to marry that girl, Gomer. That's who I want for you. Let me just tell this story in a way that may make more sense to us today. Imagine, if you would, a small town and a young pastor who maybe started the church and He's working in the community, loves the community, and, and, but all, he's single, and he's, and he's so devoted to his church, but he's praying, God, send the one. God, send the one, right? We talked about that in this series, that really the one needs to be Jesus, but he's praying, God, send the one, because that's when, when we're single, that's what we pray, God, send the one, right? And so he's praying, and then one day God speaks to him. You see that girl over there? That's yours. That's who I want you to marry. And the girl that he points out was the girl that if she went into any room in the, the community, there would be several guys that she had been with. She had a, a horrible past. And you can imagine his heart in that moment. Well, you know, God, if you picked her out, everything's probably going to get much better from here on out, right? Because the best is yet to come. That's what we think sometimes, right? And so he, he starts to pursue her. They get engaged, they get married, and they have a kid. Everything seems to be going well, but at the same time, his ministry is growing. And they get into that young family phase where all of a sudden her attention is shifted to the kid and his attention has been shifted to his job. And one day, out of the blue, one of her ex-lovers contacts her on Facebook. All right, you know how it happens. Maybe it was an old boyfriend and he, he hits her up. Maybe she was going to the gym to get back in shape after having, you know, a, a baby, and they hired a personal trainer, and he was really cute, and he's given her some attention that she has not been getting at home. Who knows the story? But inevitably what's going to happen is that she's going to wander away. And I think that, that there's some questions that need to be asked up front. God, why, why would you do this? Why would, you, why would you point someone who seems to be so faithful to someone who seems to be so unfaithful? God, why would you do this? And I think the first thing is that God wants to demonstrate how he loves his people when they cheat on him. Because that's exactly what he said to Hosea. I want you to take this wife because the people of Israel are committing the vilest Adultery. In other words, there's a ranking of adultery and the spiritual adultery that is happening in the hearts of the people of God is the vilest adultery. And God wants to demonstrate how he loves his people even when they cheat on him. Number two, God wants to demonstrate how he is faithful when we are not faithful. And lastly, I think this is so important. He wants to show us what redemptive 
love looks like. Because while this story is going to become so broken and so difficult, there is great beauty in the redemption that is hidden within this story. See, in that moment where the Facebook message would have popped up or where the trainer would have started giving her attention, where Gomer's heart begins to drift, we see her say this in Hosea 2, verses 5. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, and my oil and my drink. And in that moment, she buys into something that is a lie. And here's what it is. First thing in your notes today, that what I'm missing is better than what I have. What I'm missing is better than what I have. I I want you to know something about a marriage relationship today. That every relationship in the context of marriage, oftentimes we look to be fulfilled in that relationship, but there is no relationship on earth that will fulfill you other than your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when we invert the perspective of our heart and start to look at our spouse and expect to be wholly fulfilled, we will be left wanting even when they are often so committed and faithful to us. I mean, if you can just put a quantitative understanding on it, sometimes it's that that we are getting 80% of our needs met there, but there's 20% that is left lacking. tell you a story of a friend of mine that I think illustrates this. I'm just going to say his name is Jay. Jay and I work together. We, we even spend a lot of time outside of work. He had a, a young wife, and while we were spending a lot of time, eventually his wife became pregnant. He was so excited. Man, everybody at work knew that they were expecting the child, and we got to hang out with them. I loved hanging out with them because his wife was really smart, and she did a job that I thought was pretty interesting. And so when we got to be around them, I always would ask questions and get them started talking because I loved to listen to them. But his wife was one of those people. Y'all know those people that once they start talking, nobody else gets to talk. You know what I'm talking about? She was just that kind of person. And so we would hang out with them. And I'd get, I love being around them. They were so fun. They eventually moved away. They had another child just a few years later. And then one day my friend Jay called me. He said, Kevin, I need to confess something to you. And I go, what, man? What's going on? He said, I've had an affair. I've told my wife but you've been one of the most spiritually influential people in my life. I just want to tell you. And I said, man, tell me what happened. And he said, well, you know, we've got these two small kids. They were all two kids under three. And he said, you know, it's just gotten to this point where when I, I, I come home from work and we'd spend time with the kids and there's just, we're not talking to each other. And he goes, you know, that there's this girl at work and she'd come by every day and she'd ask me questions and she'd listen to me and she'd listen to me. And I just wanted somebody to listen to me. And then one day she just asked me on a Monday, hey, there's some folks from work that are going out to grab a drink. Would you like to go with us? And he said, yeah, I'll just go for a little bit. Then I'll go home. And he said, by Thursday, I was sleeping with her. And with tears in his eyes, 
crying. He, he said, you know, I, I didn't realize that all the while she's at home doing her laundry and cooking dinner and taking care of our kids and making sure they get back and forth to daycare and she's working and helping to provide for our family. I'm, I, I missed the fact that there was all this stuff that she did for me, but I was focused on the one thing that I didn't have. And Gomer just like my friend Jay bought into that lie that what I'm missing is better than what I have. And so she would do that. She would leave Hosea and go and have several adulterous relationships. And the product of that would actually be several kids. So she gets pregnant and Hosea is convinced by the Lord that this child is not mine. And so the Lord gives him a name for this child. As you watch the Lord name these kids, the thing that I think that we might on a superficial level is interpret that this is Hosea's pain, but notice that it's God naming the kid. And actually what's happening is God's pointing to the pain that is in his heart over the adultery that is being committed by the people of God. The first kid is brought forth and God says, name this kid Lo Rama, which means unloved by the true father. And then she leaves again, another adulterous relationship. She comes back and God speaks to Hosea, name this child Lo Ami, meaning no kin of mine. And you see this, that there's pain in the heart of God as God grieves this adulterous lifestyle and this woman who will not stay faithful to her husband. So what I'd like to do is just talk to how God responds to spiritual adultery. And we see this as God deals with Hosea and Gomer. In Hosea 2 verses 8 and 10, we see God's first response to Hosea. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain. Now remember, she said, I'm going to leave my husband who's provided for me. All of my needs are met, but I'm going to leave him and go to my lovers who will give me blah, 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 blah. Now he says, God speaking, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. And look at this. No one will take her out of my hands. The first response that God has is righteous anger. And I want you to understand if you've been betrayed if you've been betrayed before, there is nothing wrong with feeling anger associated with the betrayal. As a matter of fact, it's a, a natural first step in that. But I want you to know today that God, when he wants something from us, God never wants a negotiated surrender with you. He never gives us the ability to go to him and say, God, you know what? I'll give you this portion of my life, but I'm going to keep this one. And God wants a complete surrender. And when he doesn't get a complete surrender, when there are portions of our lives that we hold back, God doesn't deal with that in a way that's like passive. As a matter of fact, look at what Exodus 34 verses 14 says about the nature of God, where it says, you must worship no other gods. 
You will not worship money. You will not worship security in your finances. You're not going to worship the God of a relationship or the God of your kids. You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You see, God wants your heart wholeheartedly. He doesn't want just a portion And it's as if, if you read through this, that God is saying, well, you know what, Gomer, if you want to go try it, try it. But you're going to do it without me. You're going to do it without me. I'm going to show you that all along, I've been the one supplying what you needed, what you have. But I want you to see something if you're here today. That it's the difference between anger and righteous anger. See, anger says, you betrayed me. I'm never going to love you again. But put that verse out of Hosea up there again. Look at what God says. I'm angry, but no one will take her out of my hands. See, anger says in the context of a relationship, I've been betrayed. I've been betrayed. But no one is going to steal my marriage. No one is going to steal my relationship with my spouse. That's what righteous anger says. And that's where God's heart goes. So as he continues to speak in Hosea 2, verses 14 and 15, we see this, where he says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert. Can I just stop there? Some of you might be in a desert in your life right now. I want you to understand that sometimes we blame the enemy and we blame other people, but perhaps God led you to the desert so that in the desert you would figure out that the only thing that you can rely on is him. So therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak to her tenderly. And there I will give her back her vineyards. And look at this. This is a little confusing. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. See, a lot of times we miss some things in the scriptures. You know what the word Achor can be translated into? Literally, trouble. See, God says, I'm going to lead you into the desert and through the valley of trouble, I will show you a door of hope. Can I just tell you something today? It's hard to know real hope if you've never been in trouble. And a lot of times when we face trouble in our lives, you know what we want to do? We want to run. We want to run around it. We want to run from it. But God's plan is to take you through the valley of trouble. So through the valley of trouble, you can see a door of hope. Because on the other side of trouble is always a door of hope. And you may be asking today, how did we get into this situation in our marriage? It just feels like everything is so lost. I don't feel like we have what we're supposed to have. I just feel like there's been so much betrayal, so much loss. Can I remind you of something I said in the first message where I challenged you? That it's not about finding the one. The one needs to be Jesus. And if we can just find him, that when the two are together seeking the one, nothing is impossible. And we see that in this story too. That when the two are seeking the one. You see, God doesn't leave this story there. 
he comes to Hosea in Hosea 3 verses 1, and the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, listen to this, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. Can I check, can I catch you up on where this story is at this moment? Hosea, instead of choosing an adulterous lifestyle, has just made the the bold decision to say, I don't even want that anymore. I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to act like something I'm not. I'm just going to go back into what I was doing before. And she sold herself into sexual slavery. She is now being had by any man who can pay the price that her pimp is demanding. And God says to Hosea, go back and love her again. So can you imagine that moment when she would have been put up for sale? And there would have been a crowd that would have gathered around to bid and to make wages on her. And from the back of the crowd, you would hear, that's my wife. I don't care what the cost is. I'm leaving with her today. As the people begin to look around, that's, that's Hosea, that's the pastor. Do you know what she did to him? Whatever the cost, whatever the cost, she's mine. She's my wife, and I'm here to buy her today. So Hosea would purchase her freedom and bring her back and in forgiveness receive her as his wife and love her again. And in that we see God's message for those of us that have been betrayed. And it's this, that we are to forgive and love as we've been forgiven and love. Can I I just point you to a reality I think we all too often miss? That God is a loving and caring God. The scriptures tell us that he doesn't want to condemn you for your sin. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is still sin in our hearts. So how does God position us to deal with the sin that is in our hearts? Maybe you're here today. And you've been hurt by somebody. Somebody's offended you. Somebody's betrayed you. And what's happening is through what you can see in another person, God wants you to be able to turn around and see it in you. What you feel the wound as someone has done it to you, God wants you to be able to go, no, that exists in your heart too but towards me. And the pain that you feel is the pain that I feel. And there's some of you that keep saying, why do I keep getting betrayed and betrayed and betrayed? Why can't I find somebody who will just be faithful? And maybe the fact is, is that you constantly look to a man or a woman to be your God. And in that, betray him. Look at how Hosea 
frames this understanding at the end in Hosea 10 verses 12 where he says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up the unplowed ground in your heart. Break up the unplowed ground for it is time to seek God until he comes and showers righteousness on you. Leave that up for a second. I want to break that down. So for yourselves righteousness, that means that in your lives we get to plant by doing what is right. And then he says you will reap the fruit of unfailing love. Can I just tell you something today? A lot of times we expect to reap where we plant, but that's not the kingdom of God. That's not the way that God teaches. You may plant love and forgiveness in a relationship with somebody. You never get love and forgiveness back. But the promise of God is that when we plant love, we will eventually reap love. Ultimately from him. Because look at this. Now it's time for us to seek God until he comes and does what? Showers his righteousness on you because your righteousness is never going to be good enough. Your righteousness is never going to be, your righteousness, the Bible describes your righteousness, your attempt to be right as a failed, dirty rag that exists before a holy and clean God. So that story of Hosea and Gomer is not a story simply of a married man and woman. It is your story. It is my story. Because at some point, sin bought you and sold you into slavery where you were compelled to its mastery. You were held under its captivity. And it abused you and it hurt you. It cost you relationships. It cost you nights of sleep. It cost you peace. It cost you money. It cost you love and affection. And ultimately, it cost you your relationship with God. And there's a moment when sin put you on the auction block. And in the back of the room, you can imagine God walking in and saying, that's my child. How much? Whatever the price is, I'll pay it. And sin said, the price is greater than any gold or silver. The price will be the life of your son. And God said, I will willfully pay that price. So he sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price that we needed to be paid. That we could never pay for ourselves. Where he purchased your freedom in my freedom. Look at what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, that God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by the world. God paid for you. He paid that high price for you so that you would never have to be held captive to the bitterness of unforgiveness. God paid the high price for you so that you could experience the redemption of giving freedom and grace to others. God paid that high price for you so that you would never have to be enslaved to sin again. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.